Well, are you ready to get going? We got our fifth message here in our series, Failure Isn't Final. If you have a Bible, open it up to 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. We're going to be dealing about there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for just everything you've done so far, Lord, being able to honor our veterans, dedicate a couple of amazing young boys, and spend some time in worship with you. Lord, I pray now that as we open the word of God, you would open our hearts, even if it's just that one thing that you're going to be knocking on the door of our hearts with this week. Let us be open to receive that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you remember last week, a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, we talked about Joseph, and then we talked about Samson. We're kind of going in order of the Bible. Last week, we talked about King David. Uh, Those are very famous people from the Bible, Joseph, Samson, David. A lot of people know them. Uh, Hopefully, many of you will know the name Elijah as well. Uh, Elijah is probably one of the most famous prophets in the Bible. Not a king, uh, not a judge, and you know, not a, a Hebrew slave, but a prophet. And what's interesting is, I, after King David, you really see sort of a downward slide in the nation of Israel. So this next slide I'll kind of show you. From David to Elijah, there's about seven or eight kings Uh, roughly a century and a half between them and uh, it kind of goes like this there's King David and then here there's his famous son King Solomon and then Jeroboam this is where the kingdom splits between north and south we're going to stick with the north in this uh, little list of kings then King Nadab King Baasha King Elah King Zimri King Omri and then King Ahab and Ahab is another one of those sort of famous kings of the bible but he's not famous for what he did right he's really famous for who he married uh which is queen jezebel which is a very uh, famous person as well now the bible says of these kings that each king was worse than the previous all right so you got you know David was good, Solomon a little notched down, Jeroboam, you know. By the time you get down, the state of decay in society is like way down here from where they had at the high point of David. And you really see that in Ahab. And it is to this state of decay that a mountain man named Elijah comes on the scene. Elijah, the great prophet Elijah, is described as being from the mountains of Gilead. He's a mountain man. And he is called to go to the great city of Samaria and preach against the sins of the king and challenge him out God to God. This would be like some guy from Bodfish going down to L.A., standing in front of City Hall and calling out the mayor's sins. This guy has got some guts but he's also going up against some big city money. This is the task that Elijah has for him. Now, as I said before, Ahab had married the evil queen Jezebel, and part of the reason why she was so evil is she imported another religion. She brought it with her. It had sort of been there in the background, but she brings it in on a commercial scale, this pagan worship of what was called the Baals, the Baal gods. And uh, they were sort of the gods of fertility, both in having children and more importantly was having crops and their livestock uh, reproduce. And so she brought in the bales to a scale that had not yet previously been seen. 
She brought with her hundreds of prophets and priests. Ahab knew all this. She brought with her hundreds of prophets and priests, thousands of ritual prostitutes. You can imagine what was happening with them. And then tens of thousands of little pornographic idols and amulets that were meant to essentially turn Israel into a sort of a sex-crazed, family-destroyed, prophet-by-any-means-and-sacrifice-your-children kind of society. And she was succeeding. And it is to this climate and landscape that God's mountain man, Elijah, is called to bring a message. And so Elijah has a sole message for the king. And the message is this. It's not what you'd think. The message is Ahab, Jezebel, it is not going to rain in this land except at my command. So Elijah is essentially saying, you're trusting in your bales and all this pagan worship for your crops and your livestock and big families, whatever, but it is not going, this is a direct challenge. You think that Baal brings the rain? No, it's God who brings the rain. And there's going to be no rain except at my command, the lone prophet of God in the northern kingdom of Israel. And for years, it didn't rain. There was a huge drought in the land. Now, finally, God taps Elijah on the shoulder a few years later, and he says, I want you to go see Ahab again. So when the king and the prophet meet the second time, the king says, is that you? You troubler of Israel. Now, the word for trouble in Hebrew is the same word as snake. So how does Elijah get greeted by his own? This is where Elijah lives, by his king. His king says, Elijah, you dirty, rotten snake. How's that for a greeting? Would you say that these two are friends? You know, would you? <laughs> They're about as friendly. No, I mean, they are not friends here. And so before Ahab could say anything else, because Elijah knows a hurl of insults is coming at him. So he says, wait just a minute. I'm not here to speak for you and I's relationship. I'm here to speak for God. And he says this, tell all the people of Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel. Now, I got this question last service. I want to kind of answer it. Mount Carmel, where this kingdom is, is in a huge plain you know kind of like bakersfield in a, in a big valley you know there's mountains in the distance but in the middle of the valley but there was this one mountain in the valley that had a huge elevation and it was a strategic military importance you could see for miles around so whoever occupied mount carmel was meant to see as ruler of the land so right now ahab and jezebel and all of their pagan priests they occupy mount carmel they I, I, they do things up there. I mean, this isn't like a Wednesday night prayer meeting. If I, were, I couldn't even discuss really in church what they did up there, but it was sadistic, satanic, and so sexually perverted. And this is exactly, Elijah says, yeah, I want to meet you up at that place on the top of Mount Carmel because Elijah knows symbolically whoever holds the mountain holds the nation. And so Elijah by himself the lone man of God walking up that path. In front of him or behind him, he has all of these, well, let's keep going with the, with the verses here. 
So he says, send 450 prophets of Baal and send 400 priests of Asherah. Asherah was uh, thought to be Baal's female consort. They, they had their gods split in their genders like that. So essentially, Elijah has 850 prophets and priests to one. He is going up against 850 of them. In verse 20, it says, So Ahab did what he said. He said, sent word throughout all Israel, and he assembled the people and the prophets on Mount Carmel. This is their symbolic mountain of authority. Now this is where it gets good. Elijah steps up and addresses the people. A lot of, probably several hundred thousand people. And he says this, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And the most important part of the verse comes in the next sentence. In fact, I would say the most important part of the book of 1 Kings comes in the very next sentence. And it's this. But the people said nothing. Of all the things that plague modern Christianity today, this is the greatest spiritual indecision. Having our feet on both sides of the fence. Any sin you struggle with can and will and ultimately has been overcome. But this is actually worse than sin. Because it's spiritual indecision. It's having one foot in and one foot out. A little bit of God, a little bit of the world. Enough of God to go to heaven, but enough of the earth to be pleasured and self-absorbed. Elijah highlights the inability of the people of God to decide whose side are we really on. Now because... We can be unsure of what God does for us, how God does for us, or if he even exists. And because we can't physically see him or everything he does, we often waver between self-sufficiency and trusting in God. The problem is during the times we rely on self-sufficiency, we can fall prey to burnout. We can burn out and fall flat on our face. And this is exactly what Elijah is about to do. But before Elijah does it, he actually experiences a great success. Let's pick up the story. So now everybody's there. Everything has been gathered. There's an altar on one side that's for the pagan prophets of Baal. And there's a a, a run-down sort of disrepair off altar toward for, for God that was once there that has now been sort of left to just crumble and fall. Elijah is standing in front of the crumble and fallen altar and the prophets of Baal are in front of their altar and for nine hours they cried out and they didn't just pray. They were doing all of their perverted antics right in front of everybody to see because they thought this is what called down their God. But for nine hours nothing happened Elijah taunts them he says why don't you shout louder maybe Baal is asleep and he can't hear you 
Why don't you cut yourselves even more? Maybe there's not enough blood dripping on the rocks and there's a certain amount he needs before he'll come. Elijah's taunting them and for nine hours nothing happens. And then he says, stop, enough. I'm getting bored with this already. He calls a few men. He says, come here, help me. And they rebuild the altar of the Lord. And you know what's interesting? Right at the appropriate time of the evening sacrifice. I think Elijah timed this all in his head. Right where the Old Testament says this is the time where you should do the evening sacrifice. They finish the altar. They lay the animal on for sacrifice on the altar. And he says douse the animal with water. He doesn't want them to think he's doing some parlor trick or magic trick. Douse the animal with water. So they douse the animal with water. And then Elijah says, let me show you how this is done. And he steps forward and he says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are the God of Israel and that I am your servant and have done all of these things at your command. He says, first, answer me, Lord. Oh, answer me. It's okay to pray that. God, I need you to answer me. Answer me, O Lord. So that, number two, the people will know that you, O Lord, are God. This is important. Elijah was not going up against the 850 prophets of Baal. He knew he was going to beat them. Who he was really going for was the people. The people who were wavering on both sides of the fence. A little bit of God, a little bit of the world, a little bit of God, a little bit of the world, you know. They're wavering. And Elijah says, I want to give you something so that you don't ever have to waver again. He says that you are turning their hearts back again. And Elijah, Elijah takes a step back, thinks about to himself. Then he takes probably five more steps back. And as he lifts his hands, a swirling supernatural fire falls down from the sky and licks up the burnt offering as a miracle in front of everybody. And it's amazing things. They're all shouting, Jesus, 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 hallelujah. I mean, they're all just having this great revival. They're breaking out all their Sunday school verses and they're breaking all this stuff. I mean, they're just having a great time. Elijah says, seize them. And they not only seize the pagan prophets, they just, they slaughter them. And, and it seems like it's going to be a great revival and they're coming down the mountain singing Kumbaya. And then all of a sudden they've got the king and the queen and an army waiting for them. And the queen says, I want Elijah's head. And with that, something terrible happens to this prophet who had just called down supernatural fire from heaven. He freaks. He gets scared. And he does something that God never told him to do. He runs. He runs in fear. He ran for a day south into Beersheba. And he sits down by a tree and he says, God, I'm no better than any prophet before me. You should just kill me now. I wish I could die. That's how depressed I've become. And often this is a sign or a symptom of what we today would call burnout. 
And that's what I want to talk to you today. Because God goes through Elijah's burnout with him. And often burnout can hit after a great success. After we, we have a great success in our marriage, we have a great success in our businesses or job, or we have a great success with our kids or family, or we have a great personal success in some area of our lives, and we're flying high, flying high, flying high, and all of a sudden, whoa! There's just this trough waiting for us, and we didn't even see it, didn't even know how we got there. I know if I took a show of hands, there'd be a few of you who say, you know what, I had one of those in my life, or I have one of those now. Great, 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 great. Wha-bam! You hit with a ton of bricks. Could be a health thing. Could be a relationship thing. Could be a money thing. Could be a something thing. And all of a sudden, you realize, you know what? I am burnt out, stressed out, freaked out. Get out! Everybody else, you know? Leave me alone! And this is where Elijah finds himself. So I want to offer a few things. And then I want to show, how does God deal with with Elijah's burnout but first a few things as to how he got there number one if you flip over your sheet uh, these points will mirror uh, the take-home will mirror these points rather I didn't step them right out this morning so the first thing is this you won't write this but you'll you'll write in a second here sometimes burnout comes from an intimidator that wears us down an intimidator that wears us down do you know every day you have a choice to give power over you to people? Power over you to fear? Power over you to circumstances, to, to anxiety, to fear of money, fear of God not coming through for you, all sorts of things. You can give power over these things. And this is exactly what had happened in the life of Elijah. He gave power over the queen. All of a sudden, he was terrified of the hit she put out on him. Beware who you give power to. Elijah was a mighty man of God, but he was also a mountain man who had given power over to a big city girl, way too much power over him. And as long as Elijah let Jezebel have the power, he would be working in perpetual burnout because intimidating people will burn you out and wear you down intimidating people will burn you out and wear you down long time ago i worked in a real estate office and i tell you it's it's if anybody here works in a real estate office i mean no disrespect but the one i worked in was full of a bunch of sharks it was like i lived the jaws movie every day swimming around these you know great jaws coming to get me and i remember there was one in particular she just had power over me. She intimidated me so much. And every time I'd go by her, I just, I felt like a mouse rather than a man. And so I would literally, as I would leave my office, I would look to the right, look to the left. Coast is clear. And I'd run to wherever I was going. It got, and I got so bad, I dreaded going to work. I began to hate it. I began to hate it because I didn't want to look around the office. And then every now and then I'd be running and boom, there she'd be. Like, oh, great, the fire-breathing dragon, you know? And so it was just, I had given her so much power over me that she was dictating. Sometimes I wouldn't leave my office if I saw her in the hall. How much time did I waste on the job waiting for her to clear out of the hall? Why? Because she was an intimidator I had given power over to. And eventually, I just dreaded going to that job. I was burning out on that job, and I was getting depressed. Years ago, 
back at the, ch- uh, at the other church I was involved with in up in Tacoma, uh, we had a, a young lady come in. She, she wanted to talk to, to the youth pastors. I was a youth pastor. I had an assistant youth pastor who's a female. And we would pastor the girls together because I didn't meet with the girls alone which is very good because I don't understand women to this day. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) So she comes in, and, like, I'm looking at her, and she's funny, she's pretty, she's she's just got a great personality, she's smart and athletic. I'm like, man, this girl's got all the goods. How could she need to talk to us about something heavy? Because, I mean, she's just this amazing person. She's one of the people, she's the people everybody wants to meet. And she came in, and for 20 minutes, she starts talking about, oh, and oh, this person, da, 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 and oh, I think she just thinks I'm of this, and my teacher thinks I'm of this, and my mom thinks I'm of this, and, da, 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 and I'm like, I'm not getting it. But it was what my assistant said. She grabbed her hands, and she said, why do you give these people so much power over you? And it was an aha moment for me. You know what the best part about being in ministry? It's not what I get to teach you. It's what I learn from all of you. And in that moment, I learned something. I never forgot that. Yeah, this amazing kid, as amazing as she was, she had given power over to all these intimidators, and she was burnt out, stressed out, and done. And that day, I saw the turnaround happen as she let God clear things out. So the take home, this is what you can write under point number one. Burnout is only permanent if you let it be. Burnout is only permanent if you let it be. The more you give people, circumstances, feelings, pity, or fear, power, the longer you'll stay in the burnout. The moment you let God, allow God to clear out those idols from your life, burnout will become a fading memory as well. Number two. Sometimes burnout comes from working too much on your own plan and in your own strength. When Elijah ran from Jezebel, he didn't run in his own he didn't run in God's strength. He didn't run in God's power and catch this, nor was there any command that he run. Just because Jezebel put a hit on Elijah, God didn't say Elijah, you better run. That was Elijah's idea. And let's face it, Elijah already had a hit on his life. He was already going to die. If nothing happened at his prayers, they were going to kill him. He was already under a sentence of death. What happened to freak him out? We're not really sure. But we could know this. Everything he did after that moment when he started running, it was in his own strength, in his own power, And it was in his own call. It was not where God had called him. After scoring a huge victory, he immediately reverts to self-sufficiency. You may think, how in the world can that happen? I'm not totally sure. I can just tell you this. To me, it's happened. How about you? Has it happened? You can have an amazing moment where your faith is so strong and you're like, you're just feeling like a spiritual Rocky. And then the next minute, you're running. Come on, am I the only one that's raising my hand here? I mean, get your hands up. Get all your hands. Don't tell the truth, shame the devil. All right? I mean, I, it, it, it happens. So Elijah, I told you, he's under the tree. He's depressed. He wants to die. He thinks he's no better than anybody else. 
how far did he get in his own strength? Anybody know? He got one day, right? Now, when I feed myself, it lasts about a day. If I were to run, I'd last about half a day, really. So Elijah gets that far. He's sitting there under the tree, and God sends an angel. I love angels. God sends an angel, and this angel comes and feeds Elijah. And the angel says, get up, you got to eat. Man, I wish somebody would say that to me. All right? And, and the angel feeds, oh, get this, and you know what the angel brings? Cake! Cake! God knows when you're depressed, you need some sugar. And so the angel brings cake. But here's the beauty of it. And I'm sure Elijah's like, oh, I'm going to own this. He starts eating. And then he starts going to Mount Horeb which is where Moses received the Ten Commandments. It's a 40-day walk. The strength of the food from the angel powers him for 40 days. His food powered him for one day. God's food powered him for 40 days. So ask yourself, do I want to do the one-day plan in my strength? Or the 40-day plan in God's strength. Now, I'm not saying go out to hotels today, eat, and then not eat for 40 days. That's not what I'm saying. Hope you get the metaphor here. Live life in your strength is a daily battle just to keep your sanity. Start doing it in God's strength and in God's power. Taking time to reconnect with God. And he'll give you strength to last a lifetime. Amen. The action point here the take home take time to care for yourself physically spiritually and emotionally the purpose of rest is not just to eat sleep watch tv and take walks on the beach if that's what you do when you go to pismo you just wasted a vacation and you wasted an opportunity while you're walking on that beach take time to reflect deal with some of the personal issues and come back operating in God's strength. Amen? Number three, sometimes burnout comes from our own private conversations, what we might call self-talk. After his great victory on Mount Carmel, Elijah expected the nation to experience a vast turning to the Lord. But when Jezebel threatened him, he cracked under pressure. And he sat under the broom tree and he said to himself, but wait, God, I, I, I thought everybody was supposed to follow me. I thought we were going to have this great revival. I thought the church was going to quadruple in size and I thought all of these things were going to happen and they were going to reject the bales. But now they're all trying to kill me. And then it happened. You know what? I am no better than those who came before me. I should just die. You can almost hear him saying, maybe I am just a loser. Maybe I am just a failure. Maybe Jezebel's right. I'm just a mountain man way in over his head. Who was I to ever think that God could use me? Who was I to ever think God could speak through me? Who was I to ever think that my life could do something? 
for the kingdom of God. And you begin to hear the self-talk. And you listen to that self-talk enough. It becomes like beats, like headphones over your ears. You listen to it enough, you'll burn yourself out. You'll, you will exhaust your own self by listening to your own self. And this is exactly what Elijah's doing. He's going over and over and over that I'm just such a terrible prophet. Ah, you know, and he's exhausted. He's burned out from his own thoughts and feelings. Our private conversations can drown out anything else positive in our lives. I think in my first or second year here, I had a very interesting um, pastoral counseling appointment. And it was because it was one of my first ones. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I was, got my pen and paper out, notes out. I don't do that anymore. Many of you know that now. But, but I was like, I'm, I'm going to do this so good. And I sat down, and, and there was another, another associate pastor with me, sat down and listened to this lady, and she was talking about, her family. Oh, my sister thinks this. And my mom and da 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 And she begins to tell a story with details, times, dates. I mean, I, I'm taking notes. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. This is pretty well thought out and detailed. And then she begins saying stuff like, oh, and she said this and this and this. And I'm thinking to myself, Oh, my goodness. And, and she told me that this person thought this. I'm like, usually in a fight, you don't tip your hand that much, right? So finally, after all this, I said, well, I said, who told you all of this? This is stuff I wouldn't even tell my family, and I got a pretty aggressive family. She goes, oh, well, I, nobody's actually said anything, but I know it. Wait a minute. You don't know it. You think it. Now, here's the thing, you guys, what she told me, I could have turned that into a New York Times best-selling novel. I had details, I had dates, I had character development, I had setting, I had plot. I mean, this whole thing, and this woman dreamed it up in her head. She thought that's what they thought. She thought that's what they felt. She thought that that's what was going to happen. But she didn't know. She was burnt out over her own thoughts lesson in this and you can write this down on number, th number three don't listen to everything you're tempted to believe when you're exhausted and some of you have been exhausted for a decade I hope you haven't listened to yourself for a decade <laughs> as long as that may sound <laughs> don't be tempted to listen to everything and believe it when you're exhausted. And then number four. The previous three were sometimes burn out as this, sometimes burn out as this. Huh? Number four, every time burnout comes from the enemy. No matter what, the devil's plan for people is the hamster wheel. I know some of you may say, no, 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 the devil's plan for me is sin. <laughs> the devil's lazy. He doesn't want to work hard for it. So he knows if he puts you on the hamster wheel and burns you out, sin will come easy. You'll succumb to temptation like that because you are exhausted, tired, and you will turn to anything to feel better. See, he's smart. 
So he's the one that generates all this. Don't, don't operate in God's strength. You can do this yourself. You're strong. You're tough. Suck it up. Just get her done. And he puts that line all day long into our spirits. And pretty soon at one point, we're going to believe him. Moses. Moses was exhausted because Moses was leading griping, complaining, stubborn people. And they kept crying to him, we are thirsty. So he goes, fine, and he strikes a rock, and all this water comes out. He says, it disquiet you. But he didn't do it according to the way God asked him to do it. But he was in burnout. Now, he got out of burnout real quick after that. But still, it cost him seeing the promised land. Samson. Samson was worn down by Delilah. He didn't give up his secrets the first day, but he did eventually. And after wearing them down, he would have said anything to get some easy sex. Peter was exhausted and confused. And here's the thing about Peter, the kicker about Peter. He is burnt out. And they ask him at Jesus' trial, do you know Jesus? Now, it's one thing to say, are you his follower? But do you know him? Half of Jerusalem knew him. Peter said, I don't even know the man. That's what burnout can do. That's where burnout leads to. So the action point for this is simply this. After you're rested, get back in the game. Get back on the path that God's had for you. Get back on a call that God has for you. Get back using the gifts that God has given you. Get back living the way you know God has called you to live. Get back restraining the areas you know to restrain. Get back to the times of rest and reflection that you know you need. Get back to not allowing the intimidators to rule your life. Get back to not doing everything in your own self-sufficiency, but waking up and saying, God, I need your strength to do what you've called me to do today. Get back in the game. I told you I'd answer the question, how did God respond respond to Elijah's burnout well Elijah made it he made it to the mountain where God gave the Ten Commandments and he hid himself in a cave and God does a whole bunch of interesting things he he creates an earthquake and then a big old storm and then fires all of these amazing things that would freak all of us out but Elijah may be burnt out but he still can hear the voice of God And he knew God wasn't in all of those things. God didn't need to shout at him. God should never need to shout at any of us. But then comes the still, small voice. And in that still, small voice, God says to Elijah, Elijah, be still. Breathe. Just breathe. And know that I am your God. Doesn't shame him or scold him for being burnt out. Doesn't say, you dummy, if you'd have just done it in my strength, you wouldn't be here right now. You dummy, if you didn't let that evil queen have so much power over you, you wouldn't be so afraid right now. God never does any of that. He says, Elijah, be still. And know that I am God. I can get you out of this mess today. 
I can get you out of this mess tomorrow. I can get you out of the messes every day for the rest of your life. Be still and know that I am God. Amen.